Hello and welcome to Breaking Social. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And we're the founders of award-winning marketing agency, Campfire. In our new podcast series, we sit down with a guest to unpick their business journey and find out their secrets to success in branding and marketing. This week, our guest is Alice Living. Alice started out as a qualified personal trainer who quickly gained a large following with her fitness content on Instagram. Alice has gone on to build her fitness app, Give Me Strength, which provides subscribers with workouts and meal plans. We chat to Alice about the online fitness industry and the unhealthy mentality it can feed, her journey into entrepreneurship, as well as how she's ensured her near 1 million strong online audience has converted into app users. Hi, Alice. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. So we wanted to start by asking you, what is your background and why did you originally start posting uh on on instagram yeah so um i mean i was a long time ago now it feels like a lifetime ago but um when i was at university um instagram was only just really starting to become a thing as well so that makes me feel really old but it was only just really starting to become a thing and i trained as a dancer so i went to theater school and um i trained for three years in musical theater my my dream was to go into the west end and and to be in musicals so i was training at a place called bird college and i think going away to an environment like that and i'm sure that anyone that listens to this who's kind of been in that world will know that it's very aesthetically driven and you are judged first and foremost on your appearance and secondly on your talent which is a really hard space to be in. I think particularly for kind of formative minds at the age of like 18, 19, you're still just finding out who you are and and, and developing confidence in who you are. Um, and so I think for me, it was quite a tricky environment. And particularly in my first year, I was never like one of the strongest dancers. And I went to a college that was incredibly dance focused. And so I really felt like this complete inadequacy compared to the people who I was around. And so in my second, sorry, at the end of my first year, I remember sitting down with one of my jazz teachers. She was like my tutor. And she was like, oh, Alice, you know, I really feel like you just need to develop a bit more strength. I feel like you're really lacking in strength and it shows in all of your dances, all of your disciplines, different disciplines. And so I was like, right, okay, I really want to, you know, this is my dream. I really want to make sure that I work hard at it. So in my second year, I basically started to, go to the gym and actually kind of move away from the uni diet lifestyle, which was like pizzas and ice cream every day. And actually start to take my nutrition a bit more seriously. I started to train in a way that I had never done before. You know, I'd never really engaged with exercise as such. Obviously I danced, but I'd never really done any sort of form of exercise. I was never on any sports teams at school or anything. And just found, you know, training to be something that really stuck with me and I really enjoyed it. And so the Instagram posting really came about because I felt like I needed to have a bit of like an outlet to kind of talk about my new and exciting journey. You know, when you just start something new, it's like shiny and new. And I wanted to share it with people. And at the time, Instagram was such a cool, fun, new space. You know, you had the likes of like Joe Wicks and stuff who were coming up and using Instagram to develop a community of people that were all doing similar things with similar goals. And so I kind of saw that and was like, well, maybe I could do that too. You know, I, I, I feel like I want to engage with people that are doing similar things to myself. And so, um, yeah, I kind of started posting on Instagram. It was like over, I think, seven years ago now. And, and yeah, haven't really looked back. <laughs> and when you started posting on Instagram, did you have any inkling as, the, as to what it would become? No, I mean, the word like influencer didn't even exist when I was starting doing what I was doing and and then that's I think one of the things that's really 
stood me in good stead is that um, I never set out to get followers or to be Instagram famous or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. But like it, that that sort of world didn't exist when I started. It was very much just like a quite innocent um, sharing of, of content in the hope that you might engage with other people. And it was very much like community based, I would say, you know, in the early days, I would literally interact with all of my followers and know who know who was following me. And it was very, um, you know, conversational and interactive in a way that I think obviously because it's just grown and grown and grown, it, it, it can't necessarily be now. So I, I, yeah, I never imagined that it would, it would, uh, you know, I'd be sitting here doing this now. No, but you know, I'm grateful for all the opportunities that I've had. And I think it's been an interesting journey. Um, but no, I never set out to, to do what I do now. <laughs> I've sort of just stumbled along the way and kind of ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> when did that change for you though? Like when did it, when did it go from something you were using as an outlet for this new thing that you were, you know, you were getting stuck into and you were enjoying into, you know, you start talking to thousands, tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands of people. When did that change for you? To be honest, like I think there are two things that I would say to that. The first answer is in terms of how I engage with the with the audience that I have, it wouldn't matter if there was 10 people following or 100,000 or a million people. The kind of the way that I talk to people would probably still be the same. And I don't imagine that that's changed that much from when I first started. And I think that's really important is that it wasn't like I created a persona and was like, I'm going to be this person when I get 10,000 followers or you know, whatever, I've, I've always just tried to be myself and be authentic and honest about, you know, what, what I'm doing and who I am. Uh, and that's the reason why I think I've continued to do it for so long is that I guess, for me, it's just about, you know, being myself. So it, I didn't really feel like the messaging changed as such. But I would say in terms of it taking a, a bit of a step up um, in terms of seriousness, and I guess actually seeing it as a valid career as well, which I never really did before this point, I was on tour with a show. So I ended up graduating and going into the Annie tour. So I toured the UK with the show and um, I got approached to, to, to write a book. And, you know, I was like 22, <laughs> so naive, never, never done anything like that in my life and was like, oh my God, amazing. What an opportunity. And so I started to explore that. And um, when I got my book deal, I signed with HarperCollins, who are obviously a really reputable publishers and signed a two book deal. And so that kind of gave me this pathway of I'm going to finish the show, which I was on. I was sort of halfway through and then it's like, OK, well, I'll finish the show. And then actually this looks like it might be a, a career, something that I might be able to, you know, even if it's just for a few years, enjoy. And so that really felt like a gear change in terms of, oh, actually, I might I might do this for a living um, rather than just seeing it as like a hobby. And so what was that kind of? Uh, transition like or can you describe that transition for us sort of going from you wanting to share your journey outside of the uni diet and working on yourself and then turning that into a career where you're starting to help other people what was that decision process like where you wanted uh, it to become something that was kind of a hobby and just uh, self-care in some ways to something that you wanted to share with other people yeah definitely like there was obviously a switch um because you're right, I'd gone from it being very personal to it being actually, hang on a second, I want to be able to um, divulge some of this information and, and share it with others. And I think that really came from when I did my personal training qualification. So I think at the heart of everything that I wanted to do, I wanted there to be this level of credibility and trust. Um, and I think having that level of trust with my audience was so important. And so it wasn't about, oh, I just want to share my fitness journey. It was about, okay, well, if I'm going to share fitness stuff, I need to make sure that I'm qualified to do that. And I want to make sure that I'm a really, you know, 
credible voice within that space. So I qualified as a PT, I think again, seven, maybe six or seven years ago and have worked in the industry since. As soon as I finished on tour, I went straight to work in a gym in, in Chelsea and saw clients one-to-one there because it was really important to me to get that experience and to be able to work with people one-to-one to know that, you know, the advice I'm giving out online is the same thing that I'd say to someone on the gym floor if we're working one-to-one together. And I think that was really the switch. It was like, okay, if I am going to do this as a career, um, I was already passionate about fitness. Why don't I go down the route of seeing what it might be like to be a personal trainer? Thankfully, I really loved that career as well and loved working with people. I think there's something so rewarding about being able to help people, even if it's in such a small way as, you know, being someone's personal trainer. The difference you can have to someone's life is huge. And, um, And I really valued that. And then being able to then translate that to sharing that information with like hundreds of thousands of people online was really special. So I guess... For me, it was about how how can my messaging evolve with where I'm going with my life? And I think that it was about creating those core pillars of like, what's my messaging? Who am I talking to? And what's most important for me to, to, to share? And I think always when I bring, you know, bring it back to what it is that I do, I think that level of credibility is is one of the most important pillars in, in my ethos, um, purely because I think there aren't that many women killing it in the fitness industry. Well, there weren't up until the point that I, I sort of started out. Um, all the people that I looked up to in terms of coaches, the courses that I went on, the people that were doing, you know, the kind of educational side of things, they're all men. And there wasn't really any women who I felt were speaking to uh, an audience um, in the way that I felt I could. So yeah, it was about seeing that space and that opportunity and then seeing how I could be the credible voice within that. And I've worked really, really hard on that as well. I think that's the thing that I sometimes don't maybe talk about enough is like, even now I'm still seeing clients. I still make sure that I personal train people. I'm still doing courses. I'm still doing qualifications because like, I know that that is such an important part of, of everything I do now. And I think hopefully that kind of can set me apart from a lot of the noise that's that's within the fitness space. That's not to discredit anyone. I think it's amazing how popular fitness is now. I think it's great. And I would never, um, you know, tell anyone to not talk about their fitness journey. But I think separating that, I describe it as noise. It's probably not the, not the best word, but that sort of like chatter from stuff that actually really is going to help people is really important. Amazing. During, during that phase specifically, what... Because you know the, the the message and the things that you talk about now versus then have somewhat changed. What sort of things were you talking about then? Um, I mean, pretty disordered stuff, to be honest. And you know, I did a podcast yesterday. One of the things that the uh, interviewer asked me was like, "Why? Why are you where you are? Like, why are you compared to other people? Because there are so many people who do what you do." And um, it's such a good question because it's like, I don't know, why me? <laughs> But I think that there are some things that I do realize I do that maybe others don't. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is that my journey is pretty much a similar story to almost every woman that I've ever spoken to. You know, they grow up, don't really have much connection to food and exercise. And it's sort of like, you know, very happy. And then suddenly you start to become aware of you know, flaws and insecurities and things that you worry about. So you change your diet and then you start to exercise. And a lot of the kind of 
diet culture world infiltrates what you, you know, your innocent mind where you don't have any thoughts around food or exercise. And it starts to make you think, oh, actually, if I was smaller, maybe I'd be better. And, oh, maybe I need to eat a bit less. And, oh, I can't eat that because that's bad. And this is good. And, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and I definitely fell down that route. And, you know, like, I look back now and I'm grateful for the fact that I've gone through that because I think it's helped me to get to where I am today. But are there things that I've done that I would never do now? Yes, absolutely. Are there mistakes that I've made? Yes, absolutely. Uh, In terms of the messaging, it was, you know, I had a very much no days off mentality and um, really seeking to be a smaller version of myself and that being the success you know, the transformation photos, you know, the fact that I had changed my body was was the best thing I could have done. And what that does to you mentally is it basically makes you think that unless you're anything other than ripped and lean and in, in some ways, you know, very, very small, you're not doing well at life. You're a failure. <laughs> and And I'm sad that I went down that route. But going back to what I was saying earlier about why me, I think that journey is one that's played out with almost every woman that I've ever spoken to. And it just so happens that I've shared my journey through that and coming out the other side very openly and honestly. And I think that's really what women resonate with, um, with me. It's not that I'm anything special. I really don't think I am. Um, it's more that I was just someone who was sharing what I think a lot of people were going through at that time. And I think that the other thing that I would say is I've never been afraid to own my mistakes. There have been many things that I've done wrong And there have been many things that I regret, but I've never been afraid to hold my hands up and say, I did this and I'm sorry. And this is what I think now. And here's why. And I think as long as you go through life doing that, and as long as you're able to own and have, you know, accountability for your actions and your mistakes, you're going to make them regardless of who you are. Everyone makes mistakes. But I think the important thing is to know when when to take ownership of those and when to hold your hands up and say, hang on a second, I did this. I'm now thinking that that's, that's wrong and, and this is why. Um, that's the most important thing. And, you know, I, I hopefully um, feel that I, yeah, I do feel that I've done that. Um, and I think that's something that has helped people maybe to trust me a bit more. Um, there's no smoke and mirrors with what I do, I hope. You know, it is what you see is what you get. And that means that there will be mistakes and things along the way. And yes, I've had to play my mistakes out much more publicly than than other people. And that's been very challenging at points. But it's also been really rewarding that people have hung around for the ride. You mentioned that back when you were starting that a lot of the PTs in the space were guys. And I think when there's a lot of people that are in a space that you want to go into, it makes it a lot easier to um, step into that space and follow in their footsteps. But in your instance, there weren't that many women in the space that were producing that kind of content. What was it like being one of the first people that was publishing uh, fitness content and PT content? Um, <laughs> well, I definitely got a lot of criticism and, and mostly from men early on. You know, I can like there are so many examples of, of times I can think about that particularly male PTs would see me as as like a complete nobody who didn't really know what she was talking about and that's fine and 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 in some respects they were right which is actually like the worst thing is that you know as much as I I I find it difficult sometimes to receive criticism it's even harder when you know that they're right because I you know to them there were PTs who'd been in the industry 10 20 years and there's this young girl coming up thinking that she knows everything and is you know sharing it so I can understand where they were coming from but I think at the same time, I 
I never let it bother me that much because I always knew that I was going to do things right and that I would prove people wrong. And I think I've done that hopefully in that I didn't just get my PT qualification and then suddenly think I'm an expert and never train a client in my life and never continue, you know, CPD and all those sorts of things. I've really tried to be, tried to do things the right way, I guess. Although, yeah, some might dispute that, but try to do things the right way, what I believe to be the right way. And yeah, so I'm glad that um, hopefully I've proved those people wrong. Um, but also like I did, re- I did really important things like, one of the things that I really recognized early on was was that I needed someone higher up than me to talk to within the industry. Like it's a it's a hard industry, I think, to, to work in in some respects as a woman, particularly back then. And I took on a mentor who's been my mentor ever since, a guy called Andy Vincent, who is amazing and has always championed me as a trainer and with everything I do, but has also helped to call out the things where I where I might maybe don't know so much or if I've ever had a question where I'm like oh god I just don't know I've got someone to go to who who generally has those answers um and that's really helped to keep me in check as well and meant that like if I'm ever trolled by some man who's who's pissed off at the fact that I'm a successful female PT I've always gone to him and be like what can I say back <laughs> um so yeah he's been really helpful and I do think generally mentorship you know is is something that I would recommend to anyone I think it's so nice to have someone within my my industry who I'm able to go to when I have those questions or I have things that I'm stressed about or worried about who's got years on me in terms of experience I do think that's really helpful and I was wondering just for anyone who's listening that might be in the midst of starting a business and maybe receiving some criticism from people that are more experienced in the industry or maybe aren't as familiar with the things that they're doing um, is there anything that sort of kept you going in those moments where you're receiving that criticism? Because obviously you've come out of the other side of it with multiple books, with an app build, et cetera. Um, so is there any sort of mantras that you had in those moments that kept you going and told you to sort of ignore those people? I think the important thing to remember is everyone's got to be a beginner at some time in their life. And like, as long as you're always learning, you're never going to fail. Like, The thing that I always remind myself of is there's always going to be someone who knows more than me and there's always going to be someone who's got more experience than me and there's probably always going to be someone who's better than me at what I do. But like as long as I carry on learning and commit to that journey and commit to, you know, being fallible and making mistakes but always getting up and trying again, then you can't really ask for more. And I think particularly with starting a business, you know, I started a business um, this year in June. I launched my app there's been so many things that I've learned along the way. And actually like I was going to launch the business four years ago and didn't have the confidence to do it. And so pulled out and waited another four years till I felt ready. And I, in some ways that was definitely the right thing to do. In some ways it probably wasn't, but you know, I, I know now that like you just have to start because if you don't ever start, how are you ever going to get anywhere? When I launched my app, there were so many things that like, I look back now and think, oh my God, I would do that differently. But like I started and I just had to press go on it. And now I'm so grateful that I did because I have all this data, knowledge, experience to now build and and create an iterative product that continues to grow and, and be successful. If I wanted and waited till it was perfect, I probably would have never started. <laughs> you know, like there's never the perfect moment to do things. And like I said earlier as long as you commit to learning 
and being an ever-evolving version of yourself who's willing and open to learn, change, do things a little bit differently, get things wrong, then you'll always succeed because you're able to be knocked down five times and get up six. You know what I mean? Like that that's what I think success is about. Um, the most successful people in the world have all had loads of mistakes behind them. And obviously you don't see those, but um, I think that's really what, what drives me is that I, I'm never really knocked back by things like that. It's always just, well, how can I do things differently then to make it make myself or make whatever I'm doing better. So if you're just starting out, everyone has to be a beginner, but if you don't ever start, then how are you ever going to know how you're going to get on? Uh, and you will make mistakes and you'll have things that you probably would do differently in 10 years time, but you know, you've just got to go with it. That's brilliant. I actually wanted to circle back to, um, the question that I mentioned before, um, I think what you mentioned there was, uh, I think would actually resonate with a lot of people who are listening, where you talked about something that you felt a lot of women go through where maybe they start to notice things about themselves and feel like they have to do something about it. Um, and you mentioned that that was for a while, maybe some of the content that you were pushing online. Um, and obviously that's changed now quite a lot what was that point of change for you like what what caused it when did that happen and what was what was the reason behind that change yeah it's a really good question like if I'm honest I don't feel like there was a specific moment that I was like oh my god I'm done with that (laughs) I'm moving on I feel like it was a very gradual thing um and I think it was definitely multifactorial in terms of I would say the first thing is that I recognized there to be a difference between what I perceived to be health and what actually health was. And I think that came from a couple of different things. Um, I think when you're in a very small body and you're not eating as much as you probably should, there are certain things that happen that aren't actually very healthy at all and are actually really unhealthy. And when those things started to happen to me, it was like, well, hang on a second. I thought I'm like working to be the healthiest version of myself. And actually what I'm doing is going very far away from that. So I think that was the first and foremost thing is that I grew up and learned that health doesn't look a certain way. And that actually being in a small body and having a very low body fat doesn't equal health and doesn't necessarily equal the healthiest version of you. Um, And so it was about actually looking at myself and saying, well, hang on a second. I, you know, I've got to X and actually that's not where I think I should be. And I need to move away from that. That was one thing. Another thing is that I just, um, I think I just got a bit happier in many respects. And I think when you're in a better headspace, you can start to reflect on some of the things that you've done that maybe aren't necessarily right. And I think things like leaning on exercise as a source of, you know, a coping mechanism and, and therapy as such, you know, when you start to get into a better headspace and you maybe don't need that so much, you can reflect and be like, oh, was that actually healthy or was I just using it as a as a coping mechanism? Um, so I think, you know, there are lots of things that happened. And I also think that the industry shifted. And as the industry shifted and we started to look at the fact that, you know, being very small and having a low body fat wasn't necessarily um, the best thing, that diets need to be varied and inclusive and and balanced and not just you know macros and calories and all that jazz I just started to realize that what I'd been doing wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be with my life 
and I just did a lot of work on myself as well. You know, I, I, I have had therapy and I'm continuing and I continue to have therapy. And I think it's one of the best things you can invest in is in yourself and in your mental health. And so I'm able to thankfully reflect on those things and work through them and, and realize that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was doing, yeah, was very disordered um, and unlearning a lot of behaviors that you start to think that well sorry that you think are normal but actually aren't very normal um so it's been a process and my content has reflected that my content has reflected the fact that I've gone through lots of lessons and and learned things along the way and have wanted to share that um and and I also think a lot of it is just growing up you know I did a lot of growing up online I started when I was 21 I'm now 28 and I think those years of your life are very formative and and change you a lot you know if I think back to the person I was then I'm a completely different person now and rightfully so you're supposed to grow up a lot right and so you learn and um so yeah I think it's it's a combination of all those things I don't feel like there was one catalyst that was like that was the moment um but I think it was a sort of um a domino effect of lots of different things happening um uh that have got me to where I am now Right. It, it, it sounds to me like you're doing, especially now, doing a lot of the right things for almost the right reasons. And maybe back then, a lot of the things you were doing, maybe they were they were caused by reasons that maybe weren't weren't the best reasons, or maybe weren't true to you. Um, how much did the fact that you were posting online? How much did social media as a whole and maybe the online community contribute to that? Do you feel? Um. I would like to think that I've always had a relatively positive relationship with social media. Um, obviously it's good in some respect and it definitely has its bad points. And I'm sure, we, I'm sure you guys know what those are just as much as I do. But on the whole, I would say that I've, I've worked hard to have a positive relationship with social media. Um, I tell you, I have found it most difficult over the last 18 months. Um, I feel like social media, unfortunately, has become a, a much more difficult space to be in since COVID. I don't know why, I don't have all the answers for why that is, but I just feel like a lot of people have a lot of pent up frustration, anger, uh, unhappiness. Uh, and when those things can't be channeled on exterior things like going out to work or whatever, um, a lot of that hate was brought online. Uh, and I think a lot of that's also been contributed to by the polarization in society. I think the fact that, you know, politically, uh, with all sorts, you know, that's going on in the background, it means that people are just, I don't think, as happy as they were prior to COVID. And that's made the online space more difficult to be in. Um, I probably received more trolling and hate in the last 18 months than I ever have done. And I don't think that's just me. That's almost everyone that I've spoken to that does similar things to what I do. And I think it's just a reflection of how people are feeling. And that makes me really sad. You know, when I get trolled or if I receive a message that's really hurtful, the first thing that I feel is, of course, like, ouch, that really hurt. <laughs> but the second thing is actually, God, like, I feel sorry for that person. I feel for them that they have that unhappiness in them that they need to project onto me or, or whoever else receives it. And I'd say that definitely it's it's been more challenging over the last 18 months than, than ever before. So on the whole, it's still a good relationship, I'd say, but definitely has its days where I'm like, I'm done with it. <laughs> I hate it. Throw my phone in the bin. <laughs> I think, and I think that partly the reason that 
that um, we asked that question is because I, there's this, I, I don't know whose quote it is, but we talk it about a lot because we're in marketing. So we need to know about social media, of course. Um, but there's this idea that what you see is all there is. So your feed and the way that it's made up is the way that you will perceive the world to be. So I think uh, the question in part that we were asking around how much did social media contribute to your self-image at the time where you wanted to be in this like very like muscular condition was your newsfeed full of um similar looking people that can almost sometimes give people a distorted view of reality when actually if you come out of instagram for a second and look at the people around you actually you're in comparatively the best shape ever but your newsfeed is creating this illusion that everyone is is in the top one or 0.5 percent completely completely like i i genuinely think that instagram creates this sense of dysmorphia you know body dysmorphia if all you're consuming is perfect bodies how the hell are you supposed to feel good about yourself (laughs) you know i completely admit to previously making my instagram this kind of you know like i remember even back at school when i was in like year 11 or year 12 whatever and you'd have like this perfect woman as the background on your phone. And it would be like, this is my inspiration. So every time I sit down for a meal, I'm going to look at it and think, oh, you know, that's what I'm aiming for. So I better eat well. <laughs> um, I, I cringe at that now, but like that's <laughs> what people do. And it's like, the thing that I really feel is that now I actually barely post my body on Instagram. I post workout videos. I post clothes because I love clothes and I post like nice stuff but I don't really post my body at all because to me that's so irrelevant to the message that I want to put out like I am a personal trainer I have a fitness app I'm about helping people to be fitter stronger all that stuff that's my vibe like I don't need people to look at me and be like oh that's what I want to be and that's just something that I've really had to work through myself is like I don't feel now like I have the world's most aspirational body compared to like what people would perceive that to be obviously caveating that like if you had to draw what society would deem like the fittest healthiest body I don't feel like maybe necessarily I have that but I don't care because it's not relevant to what I'm trying to do like I know that my skill set is good enough for people to trust me as a trainer regardless of how I look okay but there is another side of Instagram that is obsessed with this kind of aspirational physique this way of looking that is kind of like, when I get there, I will be the happiest version of myself. And the reason why I'm not there is because I've been there and I got the t-shirt and it wasn't all that it lived up to be. You know, it wasn't the kind of, oh my God, all my dreams have come true and I feel amazing now because I've got the body. Like, it's not like that. And so I care a lot less now about following people whose bodies I, you know, there are the people that I now follow are so varied in terms of the way that they look. I follow CrossFitters, I follow yogis, I follow, you know, all sorts of body positivity people. There are people in so many different bodies that I now look at that I don't even compare myself to them because it's like, we're all so different. And actually, when you think about it that way, I am never going to look like some of the people that I used to have on my phone screen because I am completely different proportions, body shape, genetics, 
all that stuff, you know, I'm never going to look like that. So why the hell am I making myself feel awful by having this background on my screen or going or following people like that on social media and desperately hoping that one day I'll wake up and just look like that? It's not going to happen. I just think that we need to realize that there is harm in only seeing one body type as the ideal because the majority of people will not ever look like that. And so why don't we promote things like women, you know, doing amazing things like, for example, the Olympics was such a perfect example of seeing all different types of female bodies who are all fit and strong and incredible, but none of them really look like maybe what you would describe as, I mean, some, but not all, what you would describe as like the perfect fittest physique. And that to me is amazing. It's like, look at all of these women who are at the top of their game, smashing it, super fit, but they all look so different. And that's more what I I feel like we should see. And so, yeah, I do think it's incredibly harmful when you're um, creating these kind of, and, and I think, unfortunately, things like algorithms and stuff on social media are now to blame because you're only fed what you try and consume anyway. So the more you view perfect content, the more it's going to push it, which is another issue. But yeah, the more that we can talk about, I guess, following a variety of different types of bodies, knowing that health doesn't look a certain way, that um, actually this kind of this idea of, of having a, an aspirational physique, a physique that you you attain to is actually really damaging. Sure, try and be the fittest and strongest version of yourself. Absolutely. I'm all here for that. But that doesn't mean you need to look at other people and try and get what they have because we are never going to look like the person next to us. That life just doesn't work that way. So I think that, yeah, for me, it's about diversifying your feed and that being so healthy for your mind because I now follow such a such an amazing array of people and I never really go on and say, oh, I want to look like her. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing that she did this. Oh, wow, look at that, you know. Um, that's more where I'm at. And I think that's a much better place to be. That's not to say sometimes I don't see someone on my Instagram and I go, oh my God, she looks amazing. Like that would like, look at her body. But it's more from a place of like, wow, uh, she looks amazing. But then also I look amazing too. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't feel like I want to be her. It's like, oh, I can admire that. But actually I know that I'm secure in myself too. But I think that's taken me a long time to get there. And I think a lot of people aren't quite there yet. And you you spoke a little bit about the types of content that you consume um, having an effect on your overall mindset. And you've uh, gone from, I mean, you still post on Instagram, obviously, but you've also put a lot of work and a lot of investment into developing your own platform in the Give Me Strength app. So do you want to talk a little bit about the platform and, and why you started it and what that platform is about and who it's for? Yeah, like I think I I've always wanted to do something that is outside of Instagram. I think social media is great, but to me, it's like, what's the long-term goal here? Like, what is the kind of forever goal rather than for me seeing Instagram is, 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 you know, even now look at like TikTok and things like that, that's kind of overtaking Instagram. And I'm sure Instagram at some point will be pretty irrelevant, like Facebook is now, not completely relevant, but yeah. (laughs) But it was always about what's the long-term goal. And I think for me, it was about creating a platform that um, really was for everyone. And I know that's kind of difficult to do, but um, 
my approach to exercise is that I want it to be as accessible as possible, accessible in price point, accessible in terms of the exercises, accessible in terms of the feel of the app. Um, and so it was really about creating a space that I wanted to be as accessible as possible to, to as many people as possible. So um, yeah, I developed it in, well, from January of this year, it came out in June. Um, it consists of programs for the gym, um, nutrition, real-time workouts so that was really off the back of COVID that was a kind of pivot that we did it was never going to be a part of the app and then through teaching live workouts during lockdown I was like hang on a second there's something in this so doing uh, real-time workouts as well which are kind of you you train along with me so I'm there with you doing it and uh, tracking education it kind of has everything that I feel my Instagram is but basically in much more detail and uh, kind of continuously updated so there's always new content we there's a new workout every day on there at the moment um so every time you log in there's something new for you to try something new for you to do there's new recipes weekly and um blog posts and stuff from from various contributors so yeah it's it's been a bit of a culmination of of lots of different ideas um and and it was a huge investment and a big risk as well. I didn't take on any investment from anywhere. So it was kind of like basically putting my life savings into a project and hoping for the best. <laughs> um, but thankfully it's paid off, you know, like it's been it's been a really, really rewarding process. And, and I'm so proud of where the app is now. And, and as I said earlier, it's been such an iterative process that, you know, where we started out in June isn't where we are now. But all of the changes have been because we've been really, really conscious of that feedback loop and always listening to what our consumer wants and making sure that everything we do and everything we um, change is very much having them at the forefront rather than me storming in and being like, this is what I want it to be. You know, I've actually been quite flexible in listening to what people want and, and kind of adapting and changing things as we go. So I would say even though June was our launch, so like the, re- the refinement process has made it so that I think the last few months, like August, September, October, have actually been where it's really started to come into its own. And our, you know, the last few weeks I've had like five star reviews every day on the app store, which is like mega to me. And they're not just like five star, cool, great app. They're like five star long paragraphs about how people are loving it, you know, how it's changed their life, blah, blah, blah. And that to me is like the most rewarding thing. I couldn't ask for more from from a product and from a job. So um, I feel like I'm doing a good thing. And if, yeah, I just hope that it continues to kind of grow and and evolve and, and yeah, be catering to what people want, basically. Amazing. Out of curiosity, what was the reason for not wanting to take outside investment? Because I'm sure there was would have been a lot of people who would have been interested in pitching in for that. Yeah. I want to own the IP outright. And... Um, Whilst it was a stretch, it meant that as a business, it's much more appealing now to investors than it was before. We turned a profit in August and have continued to grow and turn a profit from from then onwards. So in terms, I mean, finance is not my forte and my finance director will probably kill me for saying all this stuff, but, (laughs) but basically things are going really well from that perspective. And we've actually had people now come to us. Our numbers are really good in terms of um, users and subscribers. And now we've had like a couple of people reach out and say, I'd actually want to invest um, even after, you know, making it. But I'm in such a powerful position in that I own it outright. So I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't have any investors that are knocking on my door saying, hang on a second, where's my money? Um, So that's a very positive place to be for me. I I would have felt a huge amount of pressure having like VC people in the background being like, where's my investment? And obviously, thankfully, things have gone well, but 
yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I was in a position to be able to do that myself. And I know not everyone can do that, but for me, it was, it was really important to try if I could to, um, to, to invest in it hundred percent myself. Um, and now it feels like the, have the, the best decision I made because I have complete autonomy over the business and yeah, things are going good. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm glad to say things are going well. Um, how, like, how did you market for the app? How did you manage to gain users? Was, was how much of a role as well actually did social play into that? Yeah, so actually it's been the first foray that I've had into using a marketing team. They're basically a small subsidiary company of a big marketing agency, but they are amazing. And um, they have been my first experience of ever working with a marketing team. And it was my manager who suggested that I bring on a marketing team because I hadn't done that previously. And so they have done things like make a newsletter, get our email subscribers up. Um, so I write my newsletter every week, but a guy called Alex, who is my very helpful <laughs> marketing assistant, he formats it and sends out my newsletter every week. Cause I'm terrible with things like that. Um, and they also do all my social ads. And that for me is fascinating. Like I didn't know much about, um, advertising through Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so they've covered that completely. So it was kind of a two pronged approach. One prong is be- was basically to use social as much as possible. Obviously, that's, you know, I already have an engaged audience of 700,000 people who are hopefully ready and raring to go to support me. But also at the same time, knowing that it's not just those people I want to speak to. I think the really interesting thing for me was, okay, that's great that we've got this kind of core loyal following who we know are going to sign up. But actually the exciting opportunities over here where you have all these people who've never even heard of me who would find this app interesting and a good opportunity and something that would fit into their lifestyle. So it was really about kind of trying to target similar people to to who follow me, but who have never heard of me kind of thing. And so I know that we've we've put a lot of money behind marketing spend um, and thus far it's been really helpful and really beneficial um, and it's definitely a trial and error process. There are things that we tried that, that didn't work, obviously. And I think that's the nature of the game from what I understand is that you have to do a bit of trial and error and tweaking. But so far, so good. And we're now, I've actually got a meeting after this about our January marketing plan. Um, and we're going to look to put more spend behind marketing. So it's something that I had no experience of up to now. Um, and obviously they leave me to do my Instagram. And pretty much I just talk about the app as much as possible, links, swipe ups, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm on that. But outside of that, using a marketing team has been really helpful. And it's meant that we're kind of reaching a broader audience than just my Instagram following. Amazing. Are there any strategies for anyone listening that you have taken from your experience growing audiences, your experience growing uh, an app and your own platform? Is there any, are there any sort of nuggets of information or, or advice that you can share with any of our listeners? I would say, um, One of the things that's been important to me is, as I said previously, always leaning into that feedback loop, um, listening to your audience and being responsive to what they want. But at the same time, having a very core message that you don't really stray from too much. I think definitely when it comes to social media, there are a few things that I think are really important um, it's not just about the quantity of posting, it's about the quality that you put out and the consistent messaging with that. Every post should really try and loop back to whatever it is you're trying to do. So regardless of what you're trying to sell or push or whatever, 
every post should sort of in some way come back to your to your core messaging, what it is that you do, who you are, what you're trying to give to people and really listening to how your audience respond to that. Um, I think one of the things that I am probably a little bit too good at is is listening and then making changes as a result. Sometimes it's good and sometimes you need to understand that not all feedback is good feedback. <laughs> but I'm such a people pleaser that I listen to everything and go, oh yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that. Oh yeah, I'll try and do that. So it's not always the best thing, but I think as much as you can, you know, the, some of the best bits of um, feedback we've had for the app have been from people who've written in and said, oh, this is really great, but actually I think this might work better. And actually, like, I'd never thought of doing that or I would have never um, thought that someone might want something like that. So I think that is really helpful. But um, yeah, listening to feedback, um, being really consistent with your messaging, always looping back to your core message. And then it sounds really cheesy, but like, like if you're passionate about what you do, like just go for it. Like I, I, the reason why I continue to do what I do now is because I love what I do and I don't think I would be if I didn't. And that's not to say that every day is amazing. And I finish each day going, oh my God, I just love my job. <laughs> but for the most part, I finish most weeks and say, you know, there were some really, really good parts of what, I do- what I've done this week. And I'm really grateful to be able to do what I love. And so um, I think that's, that's another thing. Like it does sound cheesy, but if you're thinking about like leaving the rat race and starting your own thing or, you know, ha- picking up your side hustle as a full-time thing, like if you love it, just go for it. Like life is too short not to do, you know, things that make you happy. All right, Alice, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been really, really nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Alice, for taking part in this week's episode of Breaking Social. We hope that your app continues to see success. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Social. Make sure you subscribe to us so you're notified when an episode drops. And if you want to keep up with what we're doing at Campfire, make sure to follow us on the socials in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode.